All right, welcome to this week's RAS Report. We're excited to have Gene Munster, Managing Director of Loop Ventures, previously analyst at Piper Jaffrey, Apple and Tesla Bowl before anyone probably even knew how to pronounce the names, even though they're easy to pronounce. But this guy was calling this before anyone else. And we're going to be sitting here for the hour learning about Gene, his background, how he got to where he got, advice for people that are listening to you know achieve the things that Gene has achieved. And then one of the things that I think will be very helpful is how does Gene analyze companies? And now he's a venture capitalist and he's investing in small cap or smaller companies, private companies. What does he look for when he's investing in these companies? Do they have to be innovative? Do they need to be profitable? That's what we want to cover in this hour. So we're going to get right to it. Welcome, Gene Munster. How are you today? Doing great, Raz. Uh, honored to be here. Big fan of everything that you've built and uh, appreciate the time today. No, I appreciate it. We've been a big fan uh, of you. I know you've been to our office a couple of times and you've been to a lot of our events and uh, it's crazy where this industry has come and, uh, and it's crazy seeing what you've built. You know, we're now Benzinga. We have over like 110 team members now. It's, it's just, it, it is what it is, right? Man, it's, so managing people is a big part of what you do, the personnel side. Yes, yes, yes. That is, uh, it becomes a different animal at certain times. You know, to go from a few people to 12 to 30 is one thing. 30 to 60 is one thing, but 60 to 110 is a whole different animal because I used to talk to everyone all the time. And now there's people who join and I, it's, it's hard. You know what I mean? Especially yeah, when they're got, remote. Yeah, we have eight people at Loop and it is, uh, uh, I just should just cherish uh, the fact that the team is uh, small like it is, uh, powerful but small, but I, I can see that. But I love what you've built. Yep, totally. I mean, yes, eight people, it just, you know, we're, it's different. But okay, so now people want to hear about you. So Gene, where, where did you grow up? So I grew up in uh, suburbs of Minneapolis. Uh, I am, I say I'm 50 years old. I'm actually 49 I've been running up for about the past five years. I just think kind of big, big picture. People just hold on to their age way too tight. And I've just been embracing this roundup approach. Uh, it does beg a question on when I, this July, when I turn uh, 50, officially turn 50, do I start referring to myself as 55, 60, perhaps? Maybe I stick with the actual 50, but that's uh, where I came, grew up in the 70s in uh, Minneapolis, outside of Minneapolis. And, um, Son of an accountant, and uh, I've got three older brothers and a great mama. Got it. Okay, so son of an accountant, three older brothers. Are your brothers in equity anal equity and analysis? They are not. They are uh, super geeks. Before being a geek was cool, and uh, they uh, work in uh, more of the hard sciences. All right, all right. So that could be helpful. So, what did you study in school, and where did you go to school? So, went to public high school. Uh, college, I went to a small private uh, school in St. Paul, Minnesota, called the University of St. Thomas. has more of a business background. Uh, has an entrepreneurship kind of angle to it. I studied entrepreneurship back in the day. And, uh, you know, my claim to fame is, uh, this goes way back, is lawn mowing. I loved to mow lawns. I started a lawn mowing business when I was 13, and I ran until I was out of college. So it's that kind of your early 20s. Uh, empire. It was just an empire. It was uh, so much fun to build the business. And so that's kind of, I just kind of vectored off of uh, 
the the fun that we had in building a I mean, it was a real business. I remember my this is in the uh, uh, the nineties, the kind of earlier nineties. I think my last year in college, I made. Uh, I don't like talking about the numbers, but to give you a sense, the hard decision that I had to make. I was making close to seventy thousand, clearing about seventy grand a year, which uh, is probably like one hundred fifty grand a year now. But that's just coming out of college. And I remember when I first got a job uh, offer at at uh, working for Piper in their equity research, it was about a fifty percent pay cut. I remember having a conversation with my pops, like, "Is this the right call? Like, I'm taking a fifty percent pay cut." So anyway, uh, that that was uh, uh, lawnmowing is very near and dear. I still mow my lawn today. Uh, if you ever want to talk lawnmowing, any of your listeners, viewers, I love to talk lawnmowing. I'm a huge fan of mowing lawns. Well, no, that's that's a crazy story. So you were mowing lawns, making seventy thousand a year. Did you have a bunch of students working for you? There was two other people uh, that. Okay, it was a, usually a team of three. In college, I had to because uh, uh, I grew up in Minneapolis. St. Paul's right next to Minneapolis, so I was able to do both of them at the same time. Go to school and and mow, and we had a uh, just an opportunity to. Sometimes the whole crew I wasn't there. Uh, other times I would work there. I did the what probably a lot of college students do. I did the Monday, Thursday. I just kind of load up the classes Monday, Thursday, and then we'd go and uh, rock and roll and on the other days of the week. That's unbelievable. So, so then when you when you decide to go to Piper Jaffray, did you just get rid of Empire, or what? What you what you do? Sell it to uh, your buddy? Kind of, yeah, there's fun fun backstory to that. Is that the biggest uh, competitor? Uh, my biggest competitor was called Green Horizon, still around. Uh, and I remember a few years ago they, they had like a during a Super Bowl they had some local ads. I remember that. Oh no, AT and T did one uh, about data in the in the truck, and I was like, that's incredible. But uh, I remember I met with. Uh, uh, the guy from AT&T, I had uh, brought on another uh, partner at the time to uh, work uh, the lawn business. And uh, we were thinking about just selling him. And then the, the other person, his name's Dan, he decided just to take and run with it and uh, renamed it. It's called Minnesota Outdoor and uh, still around today. I was a few years ago, I was driving around. I saw their trucks uh, mowing a lawn and I'm like, I got to stop and talk to them. So I jumped out of the car, walked up and you know, it was Gene Munster circa 1988 out there. And, uh, uh, you know, he, uh, I, I just had to ask him questions. I didn't say uh, that I had an association with Minnesota Outdoor, but it was just, it was uh, quite um, uh, rewarding to see the crew out there. Uh, no, that, no, that's awesome. I, I in college, I had, a, I had one of the first online textbook stores and it was oh, pretty wow. like, Oh, I had airplanes fly over Michigan Stadium and a couple others. I remember I had no money and Marketing. I was like, oh, yeah. So I started this business. It was one of the first online textbook stores and I needed to get the whole university to know about it. But I didn't have any money. And so, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, so, so there's a Michigan Notre Dame coming game coming up and there's 106,000 people going to be there. And it was the beginning. It was before school started. So I'm like, all right, airplanes over the stadium. So when they did that and then get signs on your way when you walk up to the stadium, have signs everywhere to like get your name so that they see it more than once. So I went to uh, Kinko's, the guy at Kinko's Kinko, let me pay $10 for like what should have cost 200. And then I went to Home Depot, got two by four. So at, you know, at Michigan from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. I'm hammering stuff. The day before and Friday, I call three airplane companies to like fly the signs and they're all like 1200 bucks, 1500. I'm like, I got 250. If you want to call me back, call me back. So that was like in the morning of Friday. 
each one called me back at like at five o'clock. All right, we can, we can fit you. So I ended up doing two different signs. I had like a thousand orders when I got back and, and there's like 25, and there's like 25 people that I, that I never charged for textbooks because I had automated, but with, if I didn't have the book, I'd go to the publisher and I never did the, I was never good at doing the manual stuff. So I just let those guys have free books, but whatever. And so that was like you so let said. Let me get uh, this straight. Notre Dame, Michigan uh, football game. They've got those planes flying over, like you see flying over the beach. Yep. Uh, pulling a sign. That's right. It says Raz Books. Yeah, yeah. It was college books on, and it was I paid two fifty for it, and it generated like Man. so many orders. I was really that's big cool. into grill grill marketing back in the day. And yeah, that was my. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. uh, as part of the game today. I'm sure. Yeah, and then and then actually, I was my textbook business, which didn't have high margins. I'm like, what would kids pay for guys in college that doesn't? They, we don't have to ship a physical good, and that and that that is meeting a girl online dating. So before you ever heard of all these dating sites, and this is I made most of my money in online dating, investing in the stock market of these online dating companies in, in year 2002. So I morphed into online dating, and the way I did that was. I had people putting like on the windshields of cars outside bars or inside bars. So on a Saturday night, you're going home alone. You're on, you're on Motor City Singles or, pick, or PickySingles.com was what was the main site. And I had like every ethnicity and city, the domains. And that's what – and it, it like worked. But it, was, it was all guerrilla marketing. That's so incredible. Just, didn't know that. Yeah, I know. I didn't stay with it, and I should have because this is way before all the ones like Plenty of Fish. I was way early. And I just when, – when I'm what I've learned – Kids that are 21 to 24, they like to start things and don't necessarily follow through. I was in that game. I, I started the things and I got them to a little bit of scale and there was success. And then I was like on to the next thing. That was like, you know, and I, I they didn't breeze about you, but that is was my problem, 22 to 24. I should have stayed in the online day, but I, I wanted a cell phone. This is where we're going to go to Apple. I wanted a cell phone back then that would open my hotel room door or pay for things. So I went to the wireless CTA technology conference, the CDMA. I thought when I was 23 years old, I was gonna create a cell phone to pay for my bill at a restaurant, okay? So I should have kept up the online game, sold it for 20 million, and then done the cell phone 10 years later. But, you know, this was my e whatever. Well, there's a, there's a, a learning there. Uh, you know, you talk about sticking with it and just having a good sense about where the future is gonna be. I mean, you had that. Obviously, you've been wildly successful, so there's no need to, uh, uh, you know, second guess anything that happened. I realize we're not doing that, but uh, no need to do that. But that's, uh, no, it's, I think it's, it's a good takeaway too. Is like transformation takes time. That's a good. That's a good point. All right, so now back to you. That's a good point. So you out of college, you got a job at Piper Draftery. Is that correct? Yeah, it took me a little bit to actually land it, but uh, when you say it took you a little bit, was it like, like what do you mean by that? Well, I got I guess I graduated in May and I started at Piper the a year later, and uh, I started interviewing with them kind of in the fall, and it was just a matter of I mean uh, got it. they were super supportive, and you know everybody's got a great story about kind of walking through walls to get the first uh, quote job, and I think mine probably fits a lot of those, but I think the the, the bottom line is uh, somebody uh, took a chance on me and I'm, I'm really uh, grateful for that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's what you need in the beginning. So you, someone took a chance on you and is it like you wrote a letter, you, you applied like your resume, like normally, or like how, how did you get to Piper Jaffrey? Do you remember that? Oh, I very much remember it. I was uh, mowing the lawn. I was doing a fall cleanup 
mentioned it was the fall when I made uh, the first contact and a guy by the name of Brooks O'Neill, who is an analyst at Piper covering the med tech space, uh, was his yard who I was working on. And he stopped me on the way out because usually sometimes you talk to the homeowners, sometimes you don't. He stopped me on the way out and said, uh, well, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? And just said, uh, you know, it's kind of the idea. I love businesses. I love how the mechanics, how they work and don't want to be mowing lawns my whole life. And uh, nothing wrong with that, but it just wasn't. Uh, there's actually a, an insight that I had around uh, why it's hard to scale a lawn mowing business. And it's the labor piece is really hard to scale. Not about the topic of, of this, our conversation. But anyway, so that's how it happened is uh, I got lucky with Brooks O'Neill. He was a big supporter. And then I, I got lucky with uh, just an incredible mentor. And his name is Haney Nada, who hired me, took a big risk on me. And I'm forever grateful for that. I was worked as his analyst for five years. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's, that's amazing. That's, that's not, now we're getting into it. So you start out there at Piper Jaffrey. How many years were you there for? There a long time. I was there 20 years. Okay. Uh, yeah. 20 years, 21 years, maybe. Dude, was it, were you always drawn towards the technology side of things? Yeah. I mean, I mentioned we got pretty high geek factor in the Munster household. And so I uh, was lucky. My, my, my pops is an accountant. We had a, uh, super fortunate to have a, actually a Mac when they first came out. And so we were always horsing. My brothers and I were always horsing around with that. Uh, I was the guy who um, do not have uh, hand-eye coordination. So like golf, baseball, it's not for Gene Munster. And so, but I grew up in a neighborhood where there was a hundred plus kids in the immediate vicinity. So like baseball games were big. I remember I'd take stats for baseball games and then uh, go and, Put it into the computer as like a database to see batting averages for different people and things like that. Ted Emmer, by the way, had the best batting average uh, back there on Aaron Terrace. <laughs> and uh, so, but yeah, I was always kind of a geek at heart, and it was just uh, really fortunate to to find something where that curiosity and that geek factor could really uh, uh, have some fun at Piper. Great people at Piper. Love love the organization. So you were there in the early two thousands, like the dot com craze. Yep, solid.com. Uh, and that's uh, really how I got my big break, I guess, is that, as I mentioned, most grateful for being a junior analyst for, for five years with Haney. And then, uh, you know, just so many companies were coming public that they needed more analysts. And I had scored well with uh, the buy side investors that I had talked to and the sales force when they're trying to think about adding other analysts to cover some of these new IPOs and uh, actually covered some of the uh, Haney went and did uh, the, all the internet, uh, and I covered a lot of the legacy tech software and digital authoring tools like Adobe, Autodesk. Okay, so Adobe, Autodesk, you were covering those back then. Okay, so then I'm I'm going to go back to your life, but I just when you said Adobe Autodesk, the one that from your newsletter you talk about that's like an Adobe Autodesk is Unity, right? Unity uh, is the back end for game. Yeah. Is that are those yeah. similar type stories? Similar stories. Uh, I am a shareholder. Uh, Loop yeah. was an investor in the initial uh, or uh, around a, a couple of few a couple of years ago. Uh, and but yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities between what Unity is doing in Autodesk, uh, Adobe, and Autodesk is doing. But and the bottom line is this: is what really made Adobe special is the ability to recognize that. Uh, I mean, it just sounds so obvious now, but you know, digital authoring tools uh, were going to impact how we see the world. And I think that, you know, that's essentially what Unity is, is 
they're kind of the next generation of these authoring tools for VR and AR and gaming. Got it. Now the short term, like Unity sold off a little bit last week on earnings. Any opinion on that? Yeah, it was a, it was a rough day. It's down 15%. Yeah. Uh, part of the reason was that this uh, Facebook, uh, or not Facebook, but Apple's changed how they're allowing advertisers to advertise and making it a little bit more difficult for yeah. um, Unity to essentially get customers, and that's a negative 3% headwind. When you're a growth company and the stock had done well since its IPO, and you talk about a 3% headwind, uh, even though you maintain the numbers relative to the street, when you're in growth mode, you got to be beating and raising, as we know. And uh, the stock takes a, a reaction. Uh, and it's probably going to be under pressure for a little bit. I'm still holding on to my shares. I believe in this. Yeah. No, I, I, it's a story like, I mean, when you were buying Adobe, by the way, people buying Adobe, it wasn't straight up. I remember when Adobe switched to a SaaS type thing and the stock I, wasn't straight up. People, do you remember that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was the end. Yes, it was the end. Yep, and now I had a, I had on the major networks. This is before I was like really like into this, and it was it was the end. And if you bought Adobe, then you're probably up two thousand percent. Is my guess. Yeah, done done well. I didn't know you're uh, vectored in. Man, our orbits uh, were more closely aligned than aligned. I realized, guys. Well, I wasn't out there doing the analysis. I'm just the one on the sideline was paying attention. I like the thing that I like, Gene is the thing behind the thing. So I'm always like looking at what powers things like Twilio or HubSpot. I like the thing behind the thing. And then I, re I read your newsletter religiously. Um, and and I do, and, we're gonna, and I have a couple of newsletters pulled up, we'll get to it. But um, I read the Unity Gaming one. And it's one of those things I put on my radar is another thing behind the thing. And people say to me, well, why don't you just get the thing? And I just think when you're the thing behind the thing, it allows you to, you know, like get that. out there. Never heard that before and I love it. Yeah, so that's what I, that's, that's a Raz that's a Raz original. I use it. Uh, we have like a show that I do thing behind the thing. So, all right. So in the early dot com craze, and you were at Piper, was it just insane? I mean, every day, GeoCities and all these companies are going public. Like, what were you thinking? Were you like, hey, maybe I should leave and be a CEO of like the next tech company or Business Insider? What were you What were you thinking back then, Gene? Uh, I was thinking. I was trying to comprehend what was going on. So you have. Uh, and the one that sticks out, you have to understand too, is that uh, the really the internet, like Yahoo Finance didn't exist. We still use a quote system called Bridge. It was expensive. Uh, the senior analyst had Bridge. The junior analyst used a Bridge terminal. It was like a central terminal, like in the middle of a, like a common space. So if you wanted to get a like a real-time quote, you just walk down and pull open uh, the Bridge. And I remember there was a uh, company called uh, KTEL. And for me, that's when the light really went off KTEL uh, records, as I'm sure very few people uh, that will resonate with. But the KTEL announced that they were uh, going to sell their records online. And there had been some big ones with like Netscape and some other ones had kind of already gone. But when and then KTEL just went up like a rocket. I mean, it was like a GameStop type of a, a few days. And. I just remember thinking something uh, was bigger. And then at that point, you know, it was uh, this, this rush. And yeah, it was uh, a, just a really exciting time because uh, you start to uh, have a sense of uh, where uh, this technology can go. And uh, specifically, just the, the concept of uh, the internet really being transformative. Yep, yep.
Yeah, totally. And then, so, so you were just, were you just so, so busy then? Like when, like, I guess at Piper, when did you become that, um, well, when did you become that all-star? That's probably the wrong question. You're not going to say I became an all-star analyst. When did you first get bullish? Let's just move to this one on Apple. Well, uh, it happened when there was a, uh, I, you know, we kind of dabbled in, as I mentioned, my family was dabbling in Apple products and, and Steve Jobs came back and I think uh, that caught some people's attention. I remember that day uh, he'd sold his company, I think called Next, back to Apple. Didn't take a salary, a dollar a year or something like that. But uh, what, uh, whenever that was, 2003, something like that, for, for the holidays, I got a, an iPod pretty generous family. And I just remember uh, trying a lot of MP3 players out before because we were a tech team. We always played around with tech, digital cameras and MP3 players and uh, hard disks and just different things. And so anyway, uh, the, the iPod shows up, Santa brings the iPod. And I remember opening it up and just thinking like, uh, this is like, this is a gift that I'm really going to remember. And the problem was, of course, um, Actually, at that time, we did not have a Mac. I did not own a Mac. And so what we had to do is uh, I struck a deal with our graphics department at Piper where I could come in at night and burn the DVDs because you had to have a Mac to use an iPod at the time. And uh, we'd go in at night. Then I'd set a timer on my watch for like, it'd take like 20 minutes to burn a disc and I'd sleep and then kind of back and forth. And then you realize after a couple nights of that, like, this is just silly. Like, I got to buy a Mac. So I went and bought a Mac and, and, uh, and was just kind of uh, talking about that whole experience with Mike Olson, who was an analyst that worked with me. And he said, it's like a halo between the two. And I'm, to this day, I will stand by the, the, the term, the halo effect uh, was, I think it was coined by Mike Olson. Uh, if it wasn't coined, he's the one who uh, really took it to the next level. But that, that was kind of the, the spirit and we were covering software at the time, and I credit uh, Mike Ott, from, who was the director of research, when we came to him and said, this isn't just going to be a, a computer company in the future. They're going to go in a whole different direction with a music player. We didn't see the iPhone at the time. And uh, he saw it. And I remember him looking at the other analysts. They were all computer analysts that were covering it. And I remember saying to him, like, this is our opportunity to like change the narrative on it. And... Uh, uh, he's like, I get it, and uh, you're going to be a fish out of water here, but let's go for it. So uh, that was kind of the the reason how Apple came about, the inspiration behind it, and uh, and then it just kind of, uh, you know, we always wanted to get it right. That was the other thing. We've been positive on Apple for a long time, but every time it would go up, we just want to get it right, and there's no, like, pride in ownership for it for us. And uh, I just think the company has since then just continued to, surprise me about ways uh that they're going to be coming more important to our lives i mean you didn't just get it right though i mean you were like beyond right you were so i mean on everything and i just remember you getting ridiculed sometimes he's he's in la la land he just says apple is going to be this and it all eventually followed so i mean, nice right? to remember that we can we can talk about the stuff i missed too uh but nice to remember that and it's been a great uh, run. I, I still think its best days are ahead. Yeah, and I remember it. I remember it. I mean, it's it, it's crazy. And like, so you got into it when it was the iPod stuff, is what you're saying? Yeah, the iPod. And then I think you know we, you know we. I, I think we um, 
not just getting into it and seeing it too, but being committed to it. I think that was a big part of it. We, uh, and we still refer to this at loop because we still publish content, as you mentioned, as the, the, um, the drip. But that idea of, of just continually uh, being out there has just, I think, been an important part, just continuing to uh, make sure people know where you stand. Some may refer to it as sticking your neck out, but making sure you're doing that and uh, owning the mistakes and, and, uh, and just so like from, a, from like a business model perspective, our view is always just keep the drip going and probably just like any, um, you know, your world too. And we would, we published a, a crazy amount of research. We still do today at Loop. We're probably we publish four things per week, which for people who are doing analysis on companies, public and private, it's a lot of, uh, we're putting out a lot of research. And you're, are you doing four things per week just because you, that's what you do every week, or is it you do two things if there aren't if there aren't more ideas? What will you what will you do? It averages out to four, uh, so that's our we have a a goal of publishing four things per week. Two of them are video related. We have a TV channel called Loop TV, yep. and two of them are are print related. You know, over time we may kind of work around the margins on those, but uh, that's the idea. Is just you know we wanna we wanna get it right. We want to figure out this massive where massive transformation happens, and I think uh, part of being getting it right there's a um, just part of our DNA is to do that. Putting it out there and making sure the world knows where you stand, I think, is an important part of it. Yep, totally. And so I want to move on to the Apple. Did you like camp out at Apple back in the day when they released like a new iPod or something that oh, kind yeah. of thing? Feet on the street. We, I mean, we were all over the place. I mean, the, I think that was another piece that uh, was made us uh, a distinction. I remember when I called, uh, I had my iPod and I went and worked out at a, a gym and I was looking at other people kind of fumbling around with their Sony Walkmans. There's a blast from the past. And I wanted to give um, um, a call to uh investor uh, relations just to check in and uh, see if there's anything I was missing. And, and I remember uh, talking to them and just saying like, your device is going to make people more healthy. And uh, it just came out of my mouth. I was, I was in, I was in the lower level of uh, lifetime or North, it was the time it was called like Northwest fitness or something like that. And uh, so I, I think that was, uh, and so then I, I got on this thing, like, let's, uh, let's start, talking to people like, will it really change our life? And so then we had spread out, we had a team of three, we'd spread out and, and just talk to people. We'd walk around the streets and we'd say, you know, we'd have the device. That was a big thing. Like show people on an iPod and what do you think of it? And, and then that kind of just kept finding new ways. Uh, you know, the lines serving people in the lines is something we've done for a long time when Apple product releases. And, you know, over the last five years, we do more of those that survey work is done through things like uh, Survey Monkey, but for 15 years we just pound the street. Got it, got it. And so, and, and then, and you just pound the street. And then, how did you have enough analysts to go cover all the openings? Or you had like 15, or like you? No, I, uh, self, Mike Olson, and Andrew Murphy, the three of us, we've somehow found a way to 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 get it done. But you know, it was a big part of you know our coverage of it, probably a third of our time we probably covered 20 companies and i bet a third of the time was on apple 
Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, all right. Now you say you don't sit at work. I don't. I, I'm standing right now. I, uh, I encourage people to at least give it a try. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of a funny uh, backstory. If you're all right, if I can, can, I, can I rip yes, my, go my ahead. backstory? Go ahead. Uh, no pun intended, but it started with a bad back, of course. And you know, you know how uh, your doctor, your chiropractor, will say, you know, you, you, you know, try standing at work. And I remember uh, thinking, like, nothing's working here. I just, um, I'm not going to do go down the med route, and I'm that's that's just I'm not going to do surgery. Let's just try this, and so. I did it and um, I was determined to do it, determined to get a standing desk. And I, I uh, but it was expensive and there's a long process to get a standing desk, to get approval because they're like $5,000 or something like that. Uh, approval to get a standing desk. And I was like, well, I just, all I need to do is take my existing desk and just raise it up by like however far. And then I, uh, I'm kind of, I love fixing things. And I thought, I'll just go to Home Depot. I'm just going to go get some uh, cinder box. And so uh, I went to Home Depot and I, uh, <laughs> I got cinder box, came in on the weekend. I put the cinder box underneath the desk and uh, voila. And uh, wow. the uh, facilities came in and said, uh, can't do that. Can't do that. Like this desk could fall over. I mean, I mean, they were right, but I was just so determined to get it. Um, so I had to wait a little bit before then, but uh, you know, there was bets made in the office. I remember this, like, is it going to last for two days or two weeks? And I didn't do it. I didn't try to force through because people were betting against it. That wasn't my motivation. I just ended up immediately the piece that I didn't realize my back is better. It's not perfect, but it is better. The piece that I didn't realize one of the benefits of standing is you can move around faster. Like if I want to go over here or go over there and grab something, it's just so much more efficient. And, um, so I've really enjoyed the mobility of, uh, of standing. I hear you. I hear you. So you can type. You can type things that way too. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think my writing is as effective sitting as uh, uh, it's. It actually feels uh, uncomfortable for me to sit. Before the pandemic, the most sitting I would do uh, was on an airplane. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. I, I didn't know this. Maybe yeah. I, I should start getting some good details here. No, it's but it's that's 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 quite a story. Um, going on with keeping the stories, we're we're moving to loop ventures a little bit. You said the phonetic alphabet is part of loops culture, and I want to know why. I think I may have an idea in my head why it is. Does it have to do? Well, no, you just tell me. I have a guess, but I want to hear. So phonetic alphabet is I call it the phonetic alphabet. I think that's what it's officially called, but this is like Alpha Bravo Charlie that whole thing. And everyone is at Loop is required to know the phonetic alphabet. Uh, they are rewarded handsomely for doing it. They get paid $50 to memorize it. The reason is that what I found, it's just something a little lesson in life for me. I'm not sure why I initially learned it. Uh, maybe it was five, 10 years ago. But what I found was whenever I was talking to the airlines uh, and there's you're doing with like some confirmation number or... Uh, or you're doing an online order, you're getting trying to get some uh, customer support and you're trying to explain your email address to somebody, it's, it feels like, uh, you know, I'd be like uh, chocolate for, you know, and you're just searching for the name. It just wasn't that efficient. And what I found was uh, by knowing the phonetic alphabet, it is, 
it adds a layer of efficiency and takes stress out of your life. So for example, uh, you know, when you are in these situations, customer support, banks, whatever it would be, and, and they need a, a letter uh, to know that. So that's why we do it is to create, uh, it's essentially just a tool that uh, you can use for the rest of your life. I recommend people do learn the FNAC alphabet. Okay, so I think this interview is about you, but I think you're gonna like one thing that I have at our company. Love it, with, I'm with all ears. Yeah, because the phonetic thing is awesome. The thing that I say is no pronouns. So there are so many miscommunications at our company, or there have been, where you're like saying, he said this, or they are gonna be there. Oh, I, I like how that looks. And they're referring to something. So we had a, one day, there we had an argument about something on a page, and then we're talking about two different things. And so instead of saying that, say, I like how the black line transcends nice. this. Cool. Or instead of he, and no pronouns, I learned from Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Rocket Mortgage and uh, Cavaliers. He used to go crazy on me. So I would like send that we text and he'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about because he'd get other texts in the middle and I would still. So no pronouns is the, it's the rule. Yeah. I mean, you're going to use pronouns sometimes. But you're gonna, um, you know, like you, you get what I'm saying. You know yeah, what I mean? I love that. I, that's a call to excellence, and yeah. it is. I could see it being a lot of fun. You could even like reward people when they don't have mistakes, or penalize people when they do. You could gamify it. See, that is cool. That's cool. I like your fifty dollars. That's cool because we still have those communication things. Gamify it reward them and that's do you really get fifty dollars to uh, people learning the phonetic alphabet or is that a joke oh yeah uh, that's rewards are really important for us and our culture and uh they can be small they can be large but if we ever have uh, any sort of uh uh something like that we have a basketball hoop back when we used to be in the office and uh if people would hit a shot you know you'd say uh, i'll pay you fifty dollars let's say to, to make that basketball shot uh, it was. It's always important for us to, if we say we're going to pay something, we always got to pay it a dollar. We do it every week. We have a, uh, we call it a town hall. It's on Thursday at noon. And uh, there's always a game where people can, even in the world of uh, Zoom, there's a game where people can uh, win some money and they're always paid out. Got it. Okay. And guys, if you're coming in now, we have Gene Munster, Managing Director of Loop Ventures. Was that Piper Jaffrey? Was the bull on Tesla, uh, Apple, very, very early. We're going to get to a few stocks and his newsletters very shortly. Um, one of the questions I got earlier is, why walk away from Pop Piper to go into venture capital? Hard decision because I loved Piper, love Piper, great people. Uh, the reason was it was an opportunity to move from being a spectator to somebody who's actively in uh, as a participant. That was important, and uh, we saw this next wave coming, and we're seeing it all today around automation and electrification, and uh, this is we left at the end of 2016. And so that was part of it. We thought you know, mobile had been the last kind of wave. There's a new wave, AI power in that too. AR, VR was uh, these, these big uh, waves coming. So that was one thing, and the second is just the team. And uh, Andrew and Doug, the other two California, co-founders of Loop. We worked together for almost 10 years at Piper and they were as solid as the day is long. And I knew if I ever wanted to start something, this is my window because I'm not going to have a massive opportunity, a wave to invest in. I'm not going to have 
the same people that I trust and know that they're smarter than I am on the team. And, uh, but it was hard because, you know, you're, you're uh, giving up a lot is important for me uh, not to take a salary. Like just as an example, I've made a lot of money in my life. I've given, uh, I've given uh, money away. I've given money to my uncle. And when you put all that together, I don't have uh, enough money to uh, be comfortable with. And so I still have to make money uh, as we all do. Most of us have to do and uh, not getting paid a salary for four years is it's hard. There's a burden there. And uh, that's been uh, something that, you know, anytime I think about it, I'm just reminded that I'm, I'm working well for our investors, the, the hundred investors that supported us in uh, doing loop uh, our first fund. But as I thought about doing loop and leaving Piper, that's a big step down. Equity analysts are well compensated. And going from that to what I've been over the last four years is a very different, uh, it changes your view on life. So are you taking a salary now? I'm not taking a salary now. I'll start taking a salary when we get fund two, uh, as we start to uh, get fund two going, when we get fund two going, which is going to be shortly. Uh, I suspect uh, uh, my salary will be uh, uh, initially right out of the gate, uh, extremely small. Uh, and uh, as we perform, move up from there. What was, what was fund one, like the approximate size, can you say? Or 25 million, small is $25 million. And we want to invest in transformative techs. The initial investments are all done. Our goal is to make 35 investments and we made 35 investments. And uh, we're just basically doing follow-ons right now. Maybe. Well, what are some standout ones or one, a few that we could talk about? Uh, a couple of, uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of them. It's, it's a hard question, but the, the, uh, some of the standouts that that is an easy question. I think a company like, uh, levels, which is, uh, taking something that is uh, commonplace, which is, uh, it's a patch that you put on is an extremely small needle in this patch, but it, uh, is used by diabetics to monitor their blood glucose levels. And you wear this patch for a few days and then you activate their app, which uses AI to best understand how different foods impact how your body processes uh, those foods. And the idea isn't just to feel good. Like we talk about being like not sick, for example, I'm, I'm, I have the flu, I don't have the flu kind of a thing. But the idea of feeling uh, as good as you possibly can and Levels does that because essentially it can script, help you script uh, your ideal diet. So that's, that's one that's, uh, uh, we're excited about. Uh, another one's called dash. And we like crazy ideas before I say this, uh, the basic idea is in the future of logistics, uh, you're going to be landing aircraft to get uh, cargo off it, but you can, uh, just throw the stuff out the window and it can go, uh, down to, uh, gravitate to an airfield. Uh, and they have uh, a system to, to do that uh, because landing a plane, uh, taking it off again, uh, adds danger and it adds uh, uh, expense to it. This is most important in areas where it's a little more rugged, um, kind of rural areas, for example, Alaska, different islands, the Bahamas, things like that. Is these, uh, uh, there's a logistics, a big logistics problem, and we think Dash is going to help solve it. So those are a couple. I apologize to the 33 companies that were invested. I know. My, 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 I know. And there's so many good ones. And the question I asked, it's, I know you're in a lot of great ones. So no, 
Yeah. No, no, no harm, no foul with those our other ones. We we love you all. Now, now Spencer Israel wanted to know about Masterworks. He said he wanted. Yeah, to know I was remiss. Masterworks. Yeah, I mean, he, he wanted to know if you bought any painting or anything on it, or if not, but what, what, what's Masterworks? What, every everyday investors buy shares of artworks such as Andy Warhol. Yeah, this is big. Um, I apologize to Masterworks because this is right at the top of the list too. It's uh, really exciting. Essentially, what they're doing is making blue chip art artists that even people like Gene Munster would have heard of, Picasso. Uh, investable and so they acquire the asset they acquire the artwork and then they make fractional you can basically buy shares in that and uh, the art market has done really well over the last 30 years it is uh, it's it's really defensive surprisingly when uh, things get tough uh, it has inverse correlations to the the market you would think that if the equity markets blew up then uh, the high-end art market blows up it turns out that people who invest in high-end art uh, actually have so much money that they uh, don't care if the markets blow up, uh, their lifestyles aren't going to change. They don't go and sell their Picasso to make sure that they're uh, able to pay their rent. And so uh, uh, we are just attracted to that asset class. The founder, Scott Lynn, this guy is an assassin, next level. Uh, found a lot of successful companies and he's just really passionate about art. He's one of the biggest art collectors in the U S and, uh, this company's going places. They're going to make at, they're going to make art an investable asset class for everybody. I'm really excited about it. And it's a private company right now, correct? Private company right now. That's correct. Okay. You can buy shares on there. You can trade your shares out of it. It's just, uh, uh, it's fun because it's a good asset. I mean, you think about what's going on with like baseball cards right now and collector cars. And I mean, all of those, I don't know if you spent much time, Raz, on looking at those, but they're all up and to the right. So Masterworks kind of, it's to me, it's like the best of those asset classes, those other asset classes. And uh, not only that, but they have a platform where you can trade your shares on it. It's just making it easy for everybody. No, it's amazing. I mean, I, I'm an investor like in StockX, but that's a little different, but there's collectibles type stuff there too. So that's, they have cards and stuff. It's a crazy industry. So we're going to do like a rapid fire in a second. Yeah, guys in the chat, I see the questions. Those are private companies and we're going to get to public. Um, we're going to switch because we only have like eight or nine more minutes. Tesla, they want to know Tesla and then they want to know if you have any opinions on NEO. So what are your thoughts on Tesla is the best still ahead and NEO? And guys, just so you know, Gene has been a bull on Tesla. He's not a come to lately. He was in our office three years ago when Tesla was getting as much shit from anyone and Gene was super bullish on it. And I had a meet with one of my Tesla guys and long, yeah. And, and by the way, guys, Gene doesn't take positions in a lot of these companies. He's an analyst and gives you all the research. So he's not biased by this stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's biased by yeah. his thought complex. I want you guys to realize that. In yeah. Apple, he probably could have made $20 million investing in Apple when he, when he discovered it. But instead, he values his, the research to give to you guys. That's the truth. Appreciate that. And, you know, over time we will be making, because uh, we are an investment firm, we will be making investments in companies. I, I recognize that we're going to lose some of uh, credibility because of that, but I, I promise everyone that I'm going to be level-headed, say the bad or the good, but we'll, there's more on that to, to come. But as far as Tesla is concerned, what, you know, the near term, I would say the next year, I would not if, if you have a one-year time horizon, I would not participate in ownership of Tesla. If you have the luxury of owning something more than a year, I absolutely would own this. 
And the reason why I make that distinction is that the markets are very finicky in terms of transformative tech and uh, it always takes longer than we think. And there's some data points around EV adoption that would kind of support that. Tesla's uh, delivery numbers have been impressive, but there's still a lot that has to happen for EVs to become mainstream. And Tesla's market cap is higher today than it was three years ago. And so what all that means is I think it is extremely dangerous to uh, trade around this. It could be up 30% in a month or down 30%. I think if you take the approach of where Tesla can go, uh, going beyond just EVs, but to energy capture and storage, they have that small energy business today, 7% of revenue. They can get into autonomy, robo-taxis. I believe that they're going to be a player there. And then they can get in other kind of side markets like insurance or even HVAC. It sounds bizarre, but really nothing has happened. And the reason is that they've got a great brand and they have a brand uh, permission for people to start to sell other products that they've used and pioneered in making cars. HVAC is a great example of it. Uh, they've learned about HVAC through a car. Now they can come out with an HVAC system. Batteries, uh, they learned them in the car. Now they have a battery for your home. That's uh, why I think Tesla ultimately can be a much bigger company. Yep. And my lease is over now and I have to figure out now they updated the Model S and Model X. And now I'm at that. It, it's, it's just they're calling your name. I can hear I, it. Well, I thought I was going to get the Model Y because that was like what they had as a new interior. But then they come up with the Model S and Model X and my kids find out about it. And I don't know if you know, they have a whole video screen in the back now. So it's another 500 more. You know, you, you know the story. So it's a beautiful car. Yeah. Oh, I have to, I have to get a Tesla. It's, you know, I invest in the stock. Now, do you follow this Lucid Motors and, and CCIV or if that deal's happening? Do. Yeah, I, I would just say uh, I'm going to pause on that and uh, some of the other ones in part because at least we haven't done as much work on it. And, uh, you know, that is the thing you talk about the thing behind the thing. I mean, these are the thing Lucid Motors is the thing. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, I think, Tesla, Apple, Google, maybe Neo in China. I think those are all going to crush it. I think traditional auto is in a tight spot, mm. and uh, I think you're. I think there are going to be uh, many companies that are going to be, you know, the thing behind the thing, the arms supplier, that are going to do well, uh, uh, really capitalizing on what will be a very different looking transportation world a decade from now. Wow. That, I mean, Neo, and that's interesting. And I love you using the thing behind the thing. That was good. And so, so Lucid, you haven't done much research on that one. Now, yeah. this, this one, I don't think you follow, but this guy keeps asking. So I'm just going to go with it. Airbnb? We do. Uh, we did some work on it. I'm a believer in Airbnb. Just, uh, uh, you know, just my, my opinion is positive on it, in part because I think about parts of our world that are forever changed. Uh, with the pandemic. And I think that business travel is forever changed. I think that how people travel and I think that what Airbnb is doing asset light model uh, around unique experiences, I think is going to be more valuable. And uh, that's what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. Airbnb is one I missed like way back in the day when I had a chance. All right. So now I'm going, I have a couple more. These are some, these are some good ones. So Mitch Hotch, he keeps asking, Mitch Hotch works at Benzinga. So Mitch, I'll, I'll ask it. He wants to know how you pick stocks. He want, he says, do you focus more on the technology behind it or is it the fundamentals? We start with uh, uh, identifying disruptive markets, markets that are ripe for disruption. And then we uh, basically 
uh, divide and conquer amongst companies within that. And so it starts with uh, a learning that I had which uh, over the years, which is uh, great markets uh, can uh, heal uh, many wounds. And uh, it can be management mistakes, it can be product mistakes, but when you're in a market that is uh, what we'd refer to as un undeniable truth and undeniable growth truth, then, uh, and I mean, we can, uh, don't wanna talk a lot about the markets that were, uh, we're, there's more to come, but I would just say is just kind of uh, block off an hour, turn off your phone, and just think about how our world is going to change. They're, they're pretty obvious. A handful of them are pretty obvious. And that's where we start. Got it. Okay. That's interesting. So that makes a lot of sense. Now, Apple has more than $200 billion in cash on hand, um, more than any other company in the world. What do you expect them to do with all this money? I think they should have bought Tesla a long time ago. But what do you think they should do with all this money, man? I, I think uh, a lot of it's going to come back to investors that they will do uh some form of acquisition i think a lot of it's going to be on the component side it looks more clear i'm not saying this is definitive but apple wants to do a car it doesn't mean that they're going to have a car in the market but i think they could uh be acquiring technologies along those chains i don't know you know they're not going to acquire tesla they're not going to acquire some um i don't think they're going to acquire a big uh, like content brand for example uh so uh that is uh and a lot of it's going to go back to, to shareholders. It is, uh, they have a net cash position of closer to 80 billion because they've got some debt. Okay. And they've said that they want to get that to zero over time. They haven't given it a time. So there's still a lot of money that's going to come back to investors, mostly through buybacks. Okay. All right. Got it. Mostly buybacks. Okay. Now, now Gene has a great newsletter, guys. Who writes this newsletter, Gene? Uh, the actual letter is put together by one of the Loop founding partners, Andrew Murphy. The uh, the content is uh, everybody, there's different pieces within it and different team, different people have different. So it's kind of written by a combination of people kind of all brought together, uh, Andrew, and then uh, Andrew works closely with uh, Christine Pastor and, and uh, those two put the newsletter together. Okay. So this week's newsletter, The Contrarian Mindset, will you just give a quick thing on that? Yeah, the, uh, it was written by Doug. I highly recommend uh, if you haven't heard of Doug's name before, uh, you know, mark the moment. You're going to hear a lot about Doug Clinton in the next 20 years. He is, uh, as I said, I've worked with him for 10 years, the smartest person that I know. And uh, he wrote this. And the basic idea is that to be successful, uh, you need to be a contrarian at its most core. And, and he kind of walks through what the mindset of getting into a contrarian mindset is. It's hard to be contrarian, obviously, but that's what uh, that's what Doug's talking about. All right, and the next one was the next GameStop. Do you know what I'm talking? Did you read this or no? Yeah, I did. Uh, another great one by Doug. The next GameStop. He's uh, basically framing in uh, which asset classes could have this next uh, kind of uh, surprising moment. And uh, the punchline. I hope I'm doing this justice. Doug is uh, silver is 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 one potential. Uh, again, it's not a recommendation per se, it's an opinion, but, uh, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, there, there's, there's going to be other game. This isn't going to blow over overnight. And the other concept too, about the next GameStop is the retail investor is emboldened and they're going to be, I think this is, uh, you know, it will cool from its, uh, GameStop levels, but it's still going to be uh, a force in the market that is something that more traditional 
institutional investors haven't dealt with. Okay. All right. We got one or two more questions, but do you follow Snow or Palantir at all? Uh, I don't. Luke does, but I don't. Okay. Is the answer. All right. And so there was, wait, there was Tesla. Can they keep up with deliveries? What is the, was that your take on this? Was it in your news? Yeah. I made a mistake at the beginning of the year when I looked at their growth numbers, thinking that they may have a hard time getting to the streets, 775 or 80,000 delivery estimate for 2021. I didn't know that they had the capacity on hand with Shanghai and Fremont, their existing factories to do that. They do have that capacity. They can do over a million uh, cars. And so uh, Tesla's got, uh, it's hard to build cars, but they do have capacity on hand to meet the street numbers. Okay. Need them. All right. So to wrap it, we have to one or two questions. Um, you're going to have another fund. You're going to you're going to invest in assets, which I think is smart because you're putting your money on the line. I don't think that's a, a bad thing. Um, anything? Any biggest lessons you've learned since Loop? Like since starting Loop, your biggest lessons? Uh, the I think the biggest lesson is uh, a uh, a mindset of. Uh, and people say this all the time, but and you're living it too, I'm sure, Raz, as you're building what you're building, a mindset of just, uh, uh, you know, when, when things kind of catch you the wrong way, just to let them go and, and move on. I think that has been really uh, helpful. And really what that kind of comes down to is it allows you to focus on what is really important. I think back to five years ago, the things that would, um, you know, catch my attention and it's very uh, different today, like a really sad part. And uh, all respect to to uh, uh, love professional sports, but like that's an example. It's I'm a I'm a, grew up in uh, Minnesota. I'm a Packers fan because I'm just uh, it's a team that is like their commitment to excellence is incredible. But just the concept of like getting uptight about sports, it's just I I, I all that is. Uh, it just kind of goes away for yep. better or worse. But uh, what's the takeaway is um, think about a superpower of letting when, when you get frustrated on things, just imagine they just kind of go away and just move on. No, Gene, when I had a lot of, when I get anxiety benzing on a few years ago, when we had some changeover, whatever, someone once said to me, this too shall pass. And yeah. it's really hard in the thing. And I know what you're saying, what you just said, a superpower that's interesting. I like that way to think about it too. Nice. Yeah. So the last question is what was your worst or first job? Worst or first job, or like you can give both if you have it. Uh, worst job uh, I did for one day. It was, uh, mm. I was doing, cause uh, this is before I got into lawn mowing. I said, I started that when I was 13. I worked on a construction crew for one day and it was, uh, there were people who poured concrete and you put up these, uh, I don't know, these like rods would be in the concrete. And then they had these like things that you'd have to tie the rods to is like this mesh that you'd put up. And I, I have a, a fear of heights and I was up on a, a high ladder all day long. It lasted one day. Uh, okay. That's, that's, that's yeah, me too. I get scared going on bridges, man. I get scared going on those bridges. Yeah. I, like when I go to a hotel and they want to like, you know, be nice. We throw events at a thing and they put me, they want to put me like the top floor. I say in my in the Marriott Bonvoy, I'm like low floor. Low floor. Yeah. <laughs> I, get, I get scared of the balconies, you know, like I'm looking down, going on the balcony. I, yeah, I, Looking I, over a bridge. If you'd tell me, uh, 
I went to the Hoover Dam uh, recently, and uh, I guess over a year now, but uh, I remember looking out over the edge there, and that was not a good experience for me. Oh, my God. I can't imagine. All right. Well, I know you have your next 3 o'clock call. People want you to come on again. Next time, we'll get more into business and how he looks at these innovative technology companies. And I want to talk about more of your startups because he's invested in some very cool ones that you guys are like probably never heard of that will be the next frontier of tech that will be. And if you get a chance, go to Loop Ventures and check them out yourself. So Gene, thank you for coming. Yeah, I appreciate it very much. Enjoyed it. We'll see you soon. Yep. Thank you very much. Have a great day, man. Bye.